Welcome to our weekly podcast. We're in week two of a message series on the New Testament letter of Philemon. Philemon is the shortest of the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, comprised of only one chapter and 25 verses. What this letter lacks in length, it definitely makes up for in power and purpose. The words that we read in this letter focus on one very specific purpose. This letter was written as a plea to Paul's dear friend Philemon on behalf of one of his new friends and brother in Christ, Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave who belonged to Philemon. Now, slavery is never a comfortable topic to bring up, but this was the reality in the first century Roman world. Historians estimate that there were around 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, men, women, and children who were treated like pieces of merchandise that slave owners would buy and sell. The average slave sold for 500 denarii. And to put that into perspective, one denarii was the average daily wage for a common laborer. If a slave had some education and additional skills for work, they were priced as high as 50,000 denarii. The details aren't clear, but we do know that Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. He could have stolen something or done something to hurt Philemon's business or his reputation. Whatever he did, he decided to run away. And by the providence of God, ended up in Rome where he met Paul in prison. Through Paul's ministry, Onesimus became a follower of Jesus. And these two became very close and served alongside one another. Eventually, Paul encouraged Onesimus to go back to Philemon in order to make things right. He wrote the letter that we're about to read and gave it to Onesimus to give to Philemon. This letter, which pleaded with Philemon to forgive his former slave, is what we're studying throughout this series. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Philemon chapter 1. We're going to read the entire letter once again this morning. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. 
He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask, and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Last week, we began our series by focusing on the first seven verses of this letter. These verses make up Paul's initial greeting and prayer. Today, we're going to spend the bulk of our time in verses 8 through 16. This is the body of the letter and is where we read about Paul's plea to his dear friend Philemon. We're going to learn more about Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus today, but I also want to remind you about how this letter serves as an illustration of what's been done for us in Christ. We need to keep that in mind as we work through it. Martin Luther rightly said, all of us are Onesimuses. We're going to talk more about this today and certainly next week. When Paul asked his friend Philemon this favor, so when he gave him this plea, he did so by presenting five strong appeals. That's what we're going to focus on today. If you're taking notes, appeal number one, Paul mentioned Philemon's character. We see this first appeal in verses four through seven, which is what we read last week. Paul wrote, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. So all of this is part of Philemon's character. He was a man of God. He loved God and he loved people. Paul continued writing. He said, And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. So from these few short verses, we learn a little bit more about Philemon. He was a man of genuine faith. He loved God and he loved God's people. He had a way of bringing joy and comfort into people's lives through his encouragement and kindness. Commenting on these verses, author Warren Wearsby wrote, Philemon was a refreshing believer. We get the sense that Philemon was a man that people enjoyed being around. He was an encourager, and he would often refresh the hearts of God's people. And now, he had the opportunity to continue to live like Christ, and to be a blessing and a refresher to a runaway slave who had just been saved. You know, being an encourager is one of the best ways that we can live out our faith. Uh, we know that God, the Holy Spirit, is our encourager. And we're called to encourage others as we experience his encouragement in our own lives. John chapter 14, verse 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. So these are the words of Jesus. That word advocate in the Greek is the word parakletos. This word literally means comforter, encourager, or helper. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's our encourager. This is part of his role in our lives. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. This is our memory verse for this week. Paul wrote these words, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Encouragement is a command for Christians. We're called to be encouragers. Now, when you're on the receiving end of encouragement, it's easy to recognize. It's like a gentle push forward when you're out of energy. It's like seeing the familiar shape of home when you've been gone for a long time. It's like the extra support that you need when you can't keep going on your own. When someone encourages you, you stand straighter. You feel reinvigorated. You go about your day with purpose and meaning. And you feel equipped and ready for whatever lies ahead. Now, while encouragement can be all of these things, biblical encouragement is a lot more than just saying nice words in order to boost someone's self-esteem. Biblical encouragement draws the attention away from self and puts it on God. It's not about what a person is capable of doing on their own, in their own strength, but what God is capable of doing in and through them. It's a reminder that our strength ultimately comes from God. Biblical encouragement is also always Christ-centered. It points us to Jesus. It's a reminder of who he is and what he's done on our behalf. It's a reminder that as Christians, God's spirit lives inside of us, comforting, instructing, guiding, and transforming our lives. Biblical encouragement also builds up. A new building needs solid materials if it's going to stand the test of time. It also needs a solid foundation to stand upon. When we encourage others, we need to use words that remind them about solid biblical truth. God's word is our foundation. And finally, I would say that biblical encouragement is often silent. While encouragement often comes in the form of words, it can also come in the absence of words. Biblical encouragement doesn't have to come with all the answers. It's not about trying to solve another person's problems or removing their trials and troubles. Biblical encouragement often comes in the form of hugs, tears, a home-cooked meal, or a handwritten note. Philemon excelled in this kind of ministry. You know, he was an encourager, a refresher of people. So Paul took the opportunity to remind him to continue to put his faith to work as an encourager. He used Philemon's character as part of his appeal. And this first appeal is a reminder for all of us today to be encouragers. As the Holy Spirit encourages us, we're called to encourage others. Appeal number two. Uh, this is Paul's own situation. It's his own situation. Paul tactfully and gracefully used his own situation as an appeal to Philemon. We read about this in verse 9. He says, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. Paul's plea to Philemon was absolutely done in love, but it was also done with a little bit of force. He added the self-descriptions of being an old man and a prisoner for Jesus, not to receive pity or sympathy from Philemon, but to show that he was a man who had paid his dues. He deserved to be heard. He had some wisdom because he'd followed Christ for some time. This appeal only reinforced the importance of what he was asking Philemon to do. The phrase old man can also be translated as ambassador. Paul was an ambassador for Jesus, someone who wanted God to receive all the glory. He was concerned about kingdom things. The third appeal, if you're taking notes, 
was Onesimus's conversion. Onesimus ran away from Philemon as a slave and as someone who had wronged him in some way. But now Paul was sending him back as a brother in Christ. Philemon chapter 1 verse 10 says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus was no longer just a slave. He was now Paul's son in the faith and Philemon's brother in Christ. Last week, we were reminded that the ground is always level before the cross. I love Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, which says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In the first century, some Jewish men, especially the religious leaders, would begin their day by praying these words. I, I think this is ridiculous, by the way. They would pray, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Isn't that crazy? We know that God's role for women has only been enhanced for the good because of the effect that Christianity has had on the world. And because of Jesus' own life and ministry, we also know that the gospel is for everyone. The ground is level before the cross. This letter is an amazing reminder about how the gospel knows no limits. It, it knows no bounds. I'd like for you to think about this question for a moment. What is the greatest story of transformation through faith in Jesus that you've ever heard? I had to really think about this question. I ended up calling my wife to pick her brain this week. After talking about all the people that we've known over the years, all the stories of life change that we've heard, we both agreed that her stepdad, Danny, is the greatest story of transformation that we've heard. Faith's stepdad was introduced to a life of crime at a very young age, beginning with petty theft that eventually led to more serious crimes. His early adult life was largely defined by substance abuse. Faith's older sister, Rachel, after being introduced to Christ through a boyfriend, began regularly attending church. Danny's lifestyle really affected his kids, especially Rachel, who was a new believer. One day, he came home to Rachel pouring all of his alcohol down the drain, which, of course, led to a major argument, but it eventually led to him agreeing to attend church with her. After attending church for a while and hearing about Jesus, Danny was led to repentance and a saving faith in Jesus. You know, Danny's lived his life for Christ ever since, and he currently serves as an elder in their church. On the surface, he looks like a rough Harley-riding outlaw who's covered in tattoos, but on the inside, he's a new creation in Christ. For us, this is just another reminder of how the gospel knows no bounds. The gospel is not reserved for a select few who fit a certain mold. The Apostle Paul, for example, was a church-persecuting Pharisee who met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life was forever changed. Philemon was a wealthy Gentile who came to faith in Jesus because of the ministry that was happening in Ephesus. And Onesimus was a runaway slave turned fully devoted follower of Jesus. The same gospel that saved their lives is the same one that saved yours. And it's the same one that can save the worst sinner that you know. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. 
Friends, today we can be reminded that the gospel is for everyone. It knows no bounds. Maybe there's someone in your life who you feel is too far gone or somehow outside of God's reach. If that's the case, allow the letter of Philemon to change your mind about them. And most importantly, allow it to change your mind about what God can do in their life. Nobody is too far gone, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what they've been through. I believe that's why Paul used Onesimus' own conversion story as part of his appeal to Philemon. He wanted to remind him that the ground is level before the cross. Appeal number four, if you're taking notes. This was Onesimus' value. Onesimus may have run away as a slave who wronged his master in some way. But after believing in Jesus, he lived his life as a kingdom worker. Philemon chapter 1, verses 11 through 14 says, Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. And I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. After believing in Jesus, Onesimus served alongside Paul while Paul was in prison. I don't know about you, but I wish that we had more details about how they served together. I think having some insight into their conversations and how Paul discipled him, that would be really cool. We don't have this information, but we are told that he made a difference serving alongside Paul. I think it's really neat that the name Onesimus means profitable in the Greek. You have to wonder if Paul was giving his readers a play on words in verse 11 when he wrote, Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. Oddly enough, the name Philemon means affectionate or one who is kind. So there was an expectation that Onesimus would be useful as he served along Philemon, just like he was useful when he served alongside Paul. And there was an expectation that Philemon would receive Onesimus with kindness and grace. These two were expected to live up to their names. In his fourth appeal, Paul highlighted Onesimus's value. And in doing so, reminded his readers that serving God is both a privilege and a responsibility. Serving God is no different today in our lives. We don't serve so that we can receive recognition from others. We serve because we were bought with a price, because our lives belong to the one who made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Well, the fifth and final appeal is the providence of God. The providence of God is the working of God's sovereignty to continually uphold, guide, and care for his creation. Providence is when God orchestrates ordinary events for kingdom outcomes. Philemon chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says, It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while, so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. God allowed Onesimus to go to Rome so that he could meet Paul and hear the good news about Jesus. I have to believe that Philemon and his family had witnessed to Onesimus and had prayed for him while he was with them. But sometimes it takes hearing the same message from a different person for the message to really sink in. 
It was always God's plan that Onesimus would travel to Rome and then return back to Colossae so that he could be reunited with Philemon. God's providence is all over this story, just like it's all over his word and all over our lives. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says that we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Even God's permissible will for our lives is part of his plan. Nothing surprises God and nothing is ever an afterthought to him. God allowed Onesimus to run away as a slave so that he could return as a brother. And this was Paul's plea to Philemon. It was a plea of restoration that Philemon would receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. Today, as you think about these five appeals, although forceful at times, it's easy to see how Paul tenderly convinced his friend Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to welcome him back as a brother. And we have to understand that this would not have been easy for Philemon to do. Forgiveness rarely is, but it's always necessary. To help with the process, Paul offered up the perfect solution. This was a costly solution for Paul, but he was willing to pay the price. And this solution ultimately points us to Jesus. So what was this costly solution? Well, for that, you'll have to come back next week.